presented by The Hockey Shop, thehockeyshop.com, source for sports Surrey. This is In Goal Radio, the podcast. I'm Darren Millard, along with the co-founders of In Goal Magazine, David Hutchison and Kevin Woodley. And before we get into today's episode, which will feature the uh, interview that we've been promising for a couple of weeks with Mike DiPietro, uh, brought to you by Sense Arena and our gear segment, uh, analyzing the Bauer Hyperlite Chesty. Uh, I just want to acknowledge that David Hutchison has requested uh, to be left out of this uh, episode. That will not happen. Uh, he will contribute in some way, shape, or form. Uh, he says it's easier for him to edit if uh, he just takes a step back, but he is also our voice of reason and will at some point have to uh, jump in and correct either myself or Kevin Woodley. I guarantee that. I could just edit all that right out and then I'm good. That's true. But see, you you, you did it. Mission accomplished. Uh, Woody, we can like move Woody, on with I this can't episode. Shut up. Yeah, I can't, can't yeah, shut up. And let, let's be honest. People don't want to hear more of me, so we need more of Hutch because people are tired of hearing me. Let's, let's, let's be truthful here. How much do you think uh, you talk in relation to the two of us? Now, you do the interviews. You do the gear segment. Uh, you do a lot of the, uh, the pre-recorded stuff. So what Hutch, uh, as you as you edit these, you would uh, have a, a real good firm grasp on this. Is it like 80 20 to you and I? Oh, it's 80 20 without his interviews. Come on, Darren. <laughs> and, and, and let's not let's not forget you and I have done some interviews too. Let's like don't be unfair. Just Woody <laughs> does such a good job and he's got the big Rolodex. So uh full credit hold, to him. Hold, oh. The sad part is the 80 20 portion ratio may hold up in terms of the amount of time I'm talking outside of the feature stuff, but that's based on equal distribution of questions asked to me. Mm-hmm. That's the, that's the part that doesn't, you know, that people are probably tired of the fact that every answer from me is 80, 20, and I just get asked the same amount of questions and never shut up when I answer. Here's the biggest uh, commentary on the, uh, the amount that you talk compared to the rest of us. It's 70, 30 Woody when he's doing the interview to his guest and it's still 70 30 woody <laughs> in those segments i love okay, the interviews hurt. where that he's one, met that, one, that hurt there have been a few though when i'm editing them and i'll text him as i'm editing and just saying well you finally met your match here <laughs> so we're, we're not going to name the nhl goaltenders that are woody's match but uh a couple of guys can talk to uh, a whole bunch of fun as we get into it uh, stanley cup playoffs uh, working our way through round number one there's a lot of storylines uh, to discuss and uh, uh some upsets uh, some great series some uh, surprises going three deep uh with florida uh but the toronto maple leafs and the montreal canadians woody uh this involves uh, jack campbell nobody would have expected jack campbell to be the starter for the toronto maple leafs at the start of the year uh, but he's uh, worked his way into that role and carry price on the other side. And it's like it's like they're playing two different series. Yeah, because both of these teams are good defensively, but only one can actually score. Um, and it's showing up in the statistics through four games. And obviously with Montreal 3-1 in the series as we record this, possibly series over by the time you listen to it. Um it is just, I've never seen a discrepancy like this and, and where it shows up is an expected save percentage. At least that's that's the way I look at it in terms of how it applies to the goaltenders. And obviously what that means is the higher your expected save percentage from ClearSight Analytics, you are measuring the shot quality. 
And so the higher that number is, the easier your night has been, the easier your defensive environment has been. And the lower your... Okay, so a 950, a 950 would be an easy night, and 870, you're like being peppered. Yeah, that's that's a pretty that's a pretty fair. I mean, some on a on a one night basis, you can get you can certainly get below 850. You can have a night where teams are just generating tons of high percentage chances. But over the course of four games, I've never seen a swing like this. Carey Price's expected save percentage is 876. Jack Campbell's is 934. That is almost 60 points. And Campbell's came down in game four because Montreal actually managed to get six high-quality shots. Jack has been really good. That's the other thing here. It doesn't mean Jack's been bad. He's actually outperformed that environment. He's been better than the expected. Just a little bit less so than Carey. Like, they've both outperformed their environments. It's just that one of them is an easier environment and the other one is like brutal. And so to see some of the narratives that surround the raw numbers, I think carries at 916 and Campbell's in the 960s on raw numbers and about how one is so much better. Like, let's look at what they're facing. They are facing two totally different worlds. And again, don't dismiss what Jack Campbell's done because we know we've talked to goalies, how much harder it is when you're not busy, when you're not seeing a lot of shots. Like that can be tough. But right now, the way Toronto has defended all year and is defending in this series, combined with Montreal's, frankly, ineptitude when it comes to trying to create quality chances, like they're just shoveling everything at the net and hoping it hits something. There is no, not a lot of lateral passes, not a, like, not a lot of purposeful offense creation by Montreal. It, it, the environment has been just so much easier for Jack Campbell. And again, he's played even better than that. So it's nothing against him, but wow, what a discrepancy between the two ends of the rink at this one. Uh, Vegas and Minnesota are going to go seven, uh, and that's a series where where both goaltenders have had stretches of magnificent play. Uh, what do the numbers point to there? I don't need specifics, but is it the is it a similar situation or much more balanced? Because that's a series that I've watched very closely uh, firsthand, and I'd be curious to, to get an idea whether my eye is matching the analytic 40 point swing mark andre Fleury's environment is is 865 40. and cam talbot's is 907 so a little more than a 40 point swing cam talbot's is that much easier so far than mark andre Fleury. and you know we see that in a lot of other numbers too it's not just how it, it reflects on the goalies and i think this would match the eye test darren like mark andre Fleury was so good early in that series um if not i'm not sure vegas is still playing this season like that's how good he was he was up to like almost 10 goals saved through four games. It's dropped off a little bit in the last couple, but just incredible. And then when you look at the totality as a whole, like what types of chances are each team creating? And of course, that's going to affect the goaltenders. Minnesota's actually got more high and mid-danger chances, slightly, not a huge margin, where Vegas has dominated, and I use that in, in a term that you might not want to dominate, um, low percentage chances. They've almost doubled. Volume. They got 50 more low percentage shots. And the reality is 50 of those types of shots, those are, those are what we, I, I like to call them one percenters. The reality is they're two percenters. So you got 50 of them. Your expected goal is one. You can take those shots all night long. Unless you get a bounce or a break, you're just warming up the other goalie. And Vegas has got way too many of them in this series for my liking, especially when you see on the other end that Minnesota is actually getting more high danger chances and forcing Flurry to make some absolutely brilliant saves. I like to use the term a memorable save factor and it definitely uh, tilts in favor of Marc-Andre Flurry. Part of that is flair 
uh, but uh, but definitely made uh, more saves where you go. I remember that one in game two, that one in game three, and you don't have to go through the full explanation on a pregame show. People uh, automatically remember it. I'll uh, slide back to uh, David Hutchison. Just uh, your uh, assessment, your value that you put on the word totality, and because I appreciate uh, Woody's usage of of that word, uh, do you buy into that? Totally. I, I really appreciate the totality of Woody. We might give him a hard time for how much he speaks. I love that but he word. Brings it's so an awesome much word. to the show. It's an outstanding yeah, word. Just keep feeding. I, I wasn't me. even keep making fun me. there. Yeah. That is, I'm I'm going to use that uh, my next well, broadcast. That's why he's a professional writer, and there's a reason you've got the pretty <laughs> face on camera all the time. Uh, Florida goes three deep, guys, and they do it uh, on purpose. <laughs> Maybe slightly. Uh, guided to it by performance, but uh, Spencer Knight ends up playing the the last uh, couple of games for Joel Quenville in a six game loss to the Tampa Bay Lightning. Is there any influence on? Oh, first of all, are I'm not surprised because of Joel's track record of of going into his bullpen with his goaltenders, but how does it affect next year? Uh, what do we uh, think? I, I wish I had an answer for you. Um, clearly, Sergei Bobrovsky at $10 million for five more years is a, is a problem when Spencer Knight is NHL ready now. Um, having that ceiling above Spencer becomes problematic. I'm not sure it's a problem next year because remember, Chris Dreger's an unrestricted free agent. He'll move on. What a great bargain contract for them and what a great story for him he's been the past couple of years. Um, and I'm, you know, it's not like you're throwing Spencer Knight next year to the Wolves as a number one without insulation. And what better insulation than a, a workhorse? But soon enough, that's going to be a problem. And you wonder, with so many unrestricted free agents this summer in goal, you know, I think the list is like 39 in total. And I would argue, uh, or 42 in total, 29 are played in the NHL this season. And 22 are what you'd call like established NHLers, all in UFA this summer. Um, so you could, if, if you could move Bob, you could, you could insulate Spencer other ways, but, um, he's not going to need that insulation for long. And, and that sort of glass ceiling name, name Bob is going to become a problem. So I, I don't know how they solve it. Um, I've heard a lot of talk about being the worst contract in hockey. And when you consider $10 million and the performance, the date, I, you know, I'm a Bob guy, but it's hard to argue the numbers and, and we're two years into this yeah, thing. With, with five right? to go. I, yeah. So, yeah, hey, listen. So the first two years have been a bust. Listen, last year was team. They were terrible defensively. Same team that sewered the numbers on Roberto Luongo's final season and James Reimer. Like what, two years ago when Roberto Luongo and James Reimer both substantially underperformed career averages, to me, that was more than just the goalies. And I think it carried over. Even I thought Joel Quenwell could fix it the first year, but there was too much that didn't work there in terms of defensive personnel for him to fix it. He fixed it this year. They were better defensively this year, much better. Um, so I don't hold the first year on Bob. I think that's systems and team play. Uh, this year, he still underperformed by about 1%, the expected save percentage, which is significant when you're the highest paid goalie in the league or second highest behind Kerry. Um, well, and there's a comparison. Regular season? Kerry's numbers were worse than Bob's relative to environment. Regular season, they were worse than Bob's. Now, we've seen in the playoffs, he's turned it around, 
But in the regular season, for slightly more money, they were actually slightly worse numbers. So, listen, I I don't know how this ends. It's going to take creative thinking if they want to move on Bob's contract. But you want me to you want me to give you the conspiracy theory of the day? Want me to give you a fun one, boys? Yeah. And and this melted the brains here in Vancouver the other day. What do you think Florida would give Seattle to take Bob and get rid of that contract right now? How much extra would they be willing to give? Assuming Bob would move, move because right. he's got a full new, mo- new full, easy for me to say, full no movement clause. So it's up to him. But if he was willing, what, like how much would Florida give up to move that contract? Would they give up a really good player off the roster, a top prospect, a high pick? And if you're Seattle, will you look at that and then go, yeah, we don't want the $50 million on our books. Can we fix him? Oh, yeah, there's a goalie coach up the I-5 in Vancouver who's not going to be back with the Canucks, we don't think. And he's the goalie coach that got Sergei Bobrovsky two Vesna trophies. Imagine if you could net assets out of the Panthers and get yourself a number one goaltender back to Vesna caliber form in one fell swoop for five years to start your franchise. And oh, by the way, pick the brains of a goalie coach who's pretty good at setting up drafting systems and how to develop goalies. Like you could pick his brain for five years. I'm not saying there's nothing concrete there. It's pie in the sky fantasy, but man, would that be interesting to see it happen? Ian Clark's the, yeah, the goalie yeah, coach, right? Cause he was in Columbus okay. for both the Vesnas. I, I forget <laughs> that. Yes. Here in to put two and two together. Darren. No, I just, I just, I just wanted to be the smart guy in the room and actually have the answer. Yeah. And and say it out loud for the nice first time. Job, I, just to, hey, uh, <laughs> gravity that makes things fall. That's I'm 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 pretty smart at the at the obvious ones. Um, that's uh, I, I would keep Bobrovsky for another year. Uh, and and work with with Spencer Knight. It's going to be back to a regular schedule. I I I would do that. But that's an interesting angle that you take. Uh, it it does fit. It. There's a whole bunch of moving parts in there. We got to. We got a pretty complicated Swiss watch. Oh, dude, going. That's like straight off like the Reddit or HF boards or like that is like first time, long time caller from the outskirts, like with the wild, crazy, yeah. like I saw UFOs last night and here's my theory on how the goaltending is going to plan out. But yeah. boy, is it a fun one to consider. What was it? Uh, Smoking Man uh, on the old X-Files. X-Files. Yeah. Someday we yeah, got to do that, a show that, that. on who the goaltenders will be in Seattle next year. Yes, you know, I think we hold it for another uh, day, maybe. Good. But uh, there's a lot of good names out there. Well, well, uh, a couple of weeks uh, from now, I think that would be a a perfect time to do it as we start zeroing in on the expansion draft and start looking at what teams are willing to do and uh, how they're going to massage it. And with the unrestricted uh, goaltenders uh, taking place. Uh, before we get into our other conversation, I want to mention that uh, Mike DiPietro, the Sense Arena VR. Uh, Feature interview is coming up in just a little bit. And uh, our friends over at the Hockey Shop, thehockeyshop.com, Source for Sports Surrey, uh, working away uh, this spring, getting everything uh, online and uh, available in store. Right, Woody? Yeah, and if you're in store or online, whether you are blessed enough to live here in the Lower Mainland and be, be able to visit them in person or you're purchasing online, I got a little advice for you. Don't wait long on the new inventory because as much as Cam has stocked up, as we see reopening plans emerging here in Canada and things starting to open back up, and I know it's the same way in the States, they're ahead of us in terms of being open, we're starting to see a rush to some of this new gear we've been talking about over the past couple of weeks. Last year, Bauer 3X line, 
by the time I was back in there this week, sold multiple sets as well as the Hyperlite line. So stuff is starting to move fast. So when you hear us talk about it and you get excited about it, don't wait too long because the inventory is already starting to burn out on the new gear. And of course, they've got all the newest stuff. We've talked about the new stuff from CCM, the Eflex 5 line in stock, Hyperlite series, including the 3X line I just mentioned, the senior price point pad that blew us away last week, Hyperlite chest protectors we talked about today, Hyperlite stick that we're going to talk about next weekend or next week on next week on the podcast in stock, shorter stick guys. They've gone the carry price model stock off the rack lowered that uh, the length of that um, shaft. So some interesting features we'll get into there. They got it all in stock right now. You can They can answer your questions. Um, more stuff coming in every week from this year's sort of the next generation from a number of companies. Some interesting pieces coming from Warrior as well. Uh, the new true off-the-rack skate should be in soon. It's all on its way or arrived already. Don't wait long. Check out thehockeyshop.com to see what's there, to see what's coming and to get advice from the best in the game when it comes to figuring out what works for your game. It's Cam and his crew at the Hockey Shop Source for Sports, thehockeyshop.com. And if you can't get into the store, uh, use thehockeyshop.com or or phone Cam and, and, and the crew over there. FaceTime. Uh, they'd love to, to work with you, talk to you on, on FaceTime. Uh, I'm setting that up because uh, I, I absolutely have no doubt that uh, that's an avenue that you can really uh, use it to to get that in person feel uh, if you, if you can't get into the store and, and get ahead of the curve on on purchasing some of this uh, some of this great gear. Please phone Cam. Please please phone Cam. <laughs> get the FaceTime up. Could you imagine what Woody could do? Like we know what he does to all the gloves in there every time he visits. If Woody had him on FaceTime, Cam, pull that other glove off the rack. Just let me see how that thing yeah. closes. Okay, turn it around, Cam. Let me see the strapping, Cam. Oh wait, the glove to the left. Yeah. I need to check that one out now, Cam. Cam, did you know that the new feature on this glove, it's just fantastic. Let me tell you all the reasons you want to buy this glove. By the way, Cam, oh, anyway, I can just see Woody on FaceTime. I think all our listeners should book in their calendar this week. Please, please. Call Cam, tell him you were listening to the podcast and you want to see the new Hyperlite gear or the new 3X gear. Cam will give you a tour. I know he will. 1 to one thirty on Monday. Put it in your there calendar. You go. Call Cam. Call Cam. Uh, that, that's we'll do FaceTime FaceTime cam uh, be spectacular I hope Monday's not his and day then, off wouldn't that be great if uh if uh, Sonny from uh, uh Calgary is FaceTiming cam and cam just happens to tilt the camera over and there's Woody on the wall trying on 14 <laughs> different different gloves uh doing this thing it's like pick on Woody day but it's like half of it's Every true is pick on Woody day Oh, we should have had FaceTime with Cam uh, this week because when we were in recording, uh, somebody may have brought his Sensorina for Cam to try. And uh, I'm regretting. I promised I wouldn't record the video of it, um, but I'm now regretting as I I heard all the pings and the the goal siren go off behind him as he waved at it awkwardly. I kind of wish I had some of that on Cam. Uh, Woody, Uh, Woody. That's not fair the first time, but I I regret that you didn't do it. I think Woody needs to show us his injuries. Mm, yeah you got that I, I think there might have been some sensory oh look at that well that's good scab. this isn't on video How but Woody's got a big scab on his hand because he was goaltending in his sensorina in his office a space far too small for sensorina and uh yes, I got a stream true. of photos sent to me of both himself and what he'd done to his desk it was uh, a thing of beauty drama well, queen though 
yeah, we were setting it up. And so I was downloading everything and it took some time and I wasn't, I'd roped off an area that I knew was too small, but I wasn't intending on stuff. You didn't rope it off. Well, whatever you, when you create the boundary with the virtual boundary, I'd done one just to go through the process. Tyler from Sensorina was getting me all set up to make sure I was up and running with the new headset. Tyler's awesome. And I, I sort of created this area knowing it was too small, but without the intention of actually stopping pucks, I was just going to get it all set up and then go out into another room. Too tempting. There was down. There was downloading that needed to be done. And so he said, well, you should try it. Check it out. You know, you're, you're good. We were, he'd taken care of me. He says, well, you can, you can stop shots and, and check it out and try it out while you're waiting for the downloads. That was a mistake. That was a mistake. Because as Hutch alluded to, um, I took the little skin off my hand. I, I hammered my desk. And when I finally took the headset off 10 minutes later, I was so unaware of my environment. I didn't realize that I was bleeding for starters. And it was just a little tiny bit. But mostly, I had knocked a coffee off my desk. It was all over the floor. There was crap everywhere. And I was so immersed in the environment, I didn't even realize I'd done it. Like, I'll, I'll have to share the picture on social because it's, yeah, it was make fun of Woody Day because I was kind of an idiot. But man, once you get into it, you, oh, you're into it. I got to the party late and saw this string of, a text talking about it, and I sent back the note immediately saying, "Can they save the hand?" Uh, I thought it was so so scary, and then I find out it's just a scratch. Perfect. Just not not perfect. not not pretty. Uh, back to our uh, playoff uh, conversation. Winnipeg Edmonton. Uh, we had a very close first round series in which three games are decided by overtime, but very different reactions uh, by the fans. And let, let's start with uh, with Connor Hellebuck, who the reigning Besna Trophy winner uh, advances to the second round with uh, with a remarkable performance. Yeah, and I guess I get like he was really good, um, really good. He was about in a four game series, five, I guess, when you count all the overtimes that they played, they played five games, even though it was a four game sweep, the equivalent. Um, he was about four goals better than Mike Smith. But where the argument got interesting to me um, we talked last week about Winnipeg, Tampa Bay, and Vegas going into the playoffs as teams that relied heavily on goaltending. They gave up a lot of high-quality chances and relied heavily on their goaltenders to bail them out. Hellebuck was the better goalie. Hellebuck saved almost three and a half, or just, just over three and a half goals relative to expected. He made some big saves. But overall, the defensive environment, they were actually one of the better ones for him of the entire first round compared to what they were in the regular season. Mm. And when you see that, you have to look at the other team and ask, were they creating good offensive chances? And I think in a series where Hellebuck still was the better goaltender and worthy of all the praise, again, that's where we have to consider and be and to, to have clear sight analytics and that for us to have access to this proprietary software and look at it and see the evaluations, these 34 different types of shot chances and factors that go into each shot that are measured, like it really gives us the ability to measure shot quality and environment. And at the end of the day, whether it's the Jets playing great defense or the Oilers not doing enough to score the way you actually create real offense, his his environment was the third easiest. Edmonton did not create. They did not make his life difficult at all. The only weakness, and it's not even a weakness, it's just relative because he's one of the best goalies in the NHL, has been for three years. Like he's top three. 
every year for the last three years. But relative to all his great success, get traffic to the net, it's a playoffs, get traffic to the net. One of the best goalies in the league at managing screens. The only thing where he's average at, and again, so the fact he's average in it relative to being so good at everything else makes it a relative weakness, is on lateral plays. Slot line plays. you got to make him move east-west. In four games and, and five games worth of periods, the Oilers created seven scoring chances off lateral plays. That's not enough. Like, so how much of that is Winnipeg taking it away? How much is that of the Oilers not doing it? At the end of the day, it's not just about shots. and It's about what types of shots, what types of chances. And they didn't create enough good ones to have a chance against a goaltender as good as Connor Hellebuck. So it sounds like Winnipeg executed a game plan and became much better defensively. So this is, and this is where, honestly, Darren, I can't quite, like, there's two sides to that coin. And I don't have, I can tell you what, what happened in terms of the numbers. What I can't tell you is why. So I can't tell you how much of this was Winnipeg executing and Edmonton um, not being able to penetrate it and how much of it was Edmonton just not doing enough to create these types of chances, accepting or settling for other types that Winnipeg gave them rather than trying to force plays that would actually create goals. And then there's the guy at the at the other end from Connor Hallibuck and Mike Smith, who, uh, by all intense uh, reports, we, we voted him the best goaltender in Canada this year uh, during the regular season, and he falls, and he's... He's always going to be a bit of a uh, a lightning rod, and and when you get swept and you're the favorite, uh, there's going to be uh, some some heat applied to you. Uh, but Edmonton and Kenny Holland, Woody say Mike Smith will be back. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens there in terms of the tandem, right? Like, because obviously there's a year left on Miko Koskinen's deal. He's got a 15, ta- 15 team no trade clause, believe it or not, um, on that three year deal, and so. You know, do they find a way to move on from that? And again, I think it's going to be hard to move goalies this summer because there's so many unrestricted free agent goalies. So I don't know if they'd considered a buyout. I haven't looked at what his buyout numbers would be, how much of a benefit it would be. Um, But to me, the answer is, I know it's easy to be critical of Mike Smith, but he was so good for them this year. Yeah. Right? Like when we had that North Division debate, Connor Hellebuck clearly should have been a part of it overall. Um, and, and maybe we bought into the Mike, you know, there's a narrative around Mike Smith as well, but it's warranted. Like the work he did this summer with Adam Francilia, the changes he made in his game in the off season, uh, in terms of the way he moved and then translated onto the ice with Dustin Schwartz early in the season when he was hurt, especially all the extra work they did to get ready. Like, I believe that the chance, listen, father time's undefeated and Mike Smith will be 40 next year. But I believe the changes he made in his game, as subtle as they may be and as much as he may not want to talk to, about them or you know, give them too much credit, he's still the same goalie, as he likes to say. And a lot of that is true. But I think it's sustainable. Like I don't think this was, a, after three years of down numbers, a blip, all of a sudden he had a great season. And so are you going to get Connor Hellebuck, Andre Vasilevsky, Marc-Andre Fleury performances and numbers? No, that's, I don't know that that's realistic, but the guy was really freaking good this year, and I think he can carry it over. So, And I think the thing that most people miss and underestimate, and I've had this conversation with people who are in that locker room, is how much he means to the room. That is a quiet room. Totally agree bunch, with you there. Yeah, and they got a bunch of guys that are really good at the game, but I'm not sure they love the game. They don't eat, sleep, and breathe the game like Mike does, and he brings a lot of that to the locker room. 
And I think it's important to them. And I think they see the value in that. Dave Tippett talked about it late in the season when he, you know, up until the last couple of games, he refused to even give Mike a night off when he was backing up. He wanted that presence on the bench until it almost cost him having to put him in cold (laughs) a week before the playoffs because Koskinen got pulled. But I mean, I, I believe in those things. I think they're legitimate. And I think Mike brings a lot of things to the table. And so bringing him back makes sense. Making sure you've got a manageable tandem because of the age is going to be important. Do they think they can get Miko Koskinen back to the levels he played at two seasons ago? In which case, that's a, that's a really good tandem. Um, or do they think they need to go in another direction? We'll see. But you're bound to hear a lot of panic or people upset about the decision. And I kind of disagree with it. I, I, I see why. As long as the money and the term makes sense, I fully see why they're bringing back Mike Smith. I don't know about the eat, sleep, breathe uh, angle, but I will say that uh, having talked to Tip uh, firsthand on the Chirp podcast a couple of weeks ago, he he agrees with you 100% on Mike Smith having the personality or the team taking on the personality of Mike Smith and having such an influence on that team. So you are spot on the money uh, as far as the head coach is concerned for that. I would also be very surprised if the Oilers return with the status quo in goaltending. And if Mike Smith's coming back, I would, I would think that they would make a change there. I just everything that's going on there, uh, the status quo would lead to all kinds of uh, controversy and noise uh, around the organization. Compounded by the fact that there's so many people available this summer, all the yeah. people will look and say, "Well, you, look, you had the opportunity. Why didn't you do it? Anything about it?" Although I would say, you know, I agree with Woody that he can do it again. And I think the way he plays the game plays into that. There's a there's a simplicity to the way he plays the game that makes it easier as you get older, I would think. He's not skating around like Marc-Andre Fleury is, but that's just incredible athleticism. Um, not to take away from his technical game, I just mean that would be a harder game to play as you get older. Um, and I, and I, I think that technique of his, by the way, guys, is a bit of a reason he's a lightning rod for controversy because he does yeah. some things that let the armchair analysts sit back and say well you know clearly you can see why that goal went in in, in a way that with other goaltenders be, who play a little bit more conventionally uh it, it's perhaps a little easier to say well that was a hard one um what do you before before you jump back in here 82 games next year uh can you have a 40-year goaltender playing 50 of those games or do you need somebody that's gonna balance it off I think you need a 1b I think you need a guy that can play but I think that's going to be the case for a lot of people like listen I know he's 40, like, like Smitty takes care of himself at a level that few others do. Like he's a freak athletically. And so that's what makes it so interesting that he, that the fact off ice changes in how he trained and how he focused that athletic skill this past summer affected him on the ice in a positive manner. Like this guy is a freak who can do anything. And yet some of the changes he made in what he was doing had a positive effect. I don't think you worry about him. Uh, in terms of breaking down, but you certainly need, because you can just, it was a freak injury this year at the beginning of the season, but at the end of the day, it leads you to evaluate him getting through the year, um, having missed the first three weeks. Like how many games did he end up playing? Like 30? Like it wasn't a ton, right? So um, I think you need to be reasonable and realistic because as much as next year shouldn't be as condensed as this year was, um, it is still going to be condensed if they end up going to the Olympics, it'll be 82 and a condensed schedule if they end up going to the Olympics. And I think if, if you're not, we're already in a world where you need a 1A and 1B. Like you can't just, there's not many workhorses anymore. 
Um, you need two. And I think the combination of age and the fact we may be looking at another somewhat condensed season makes that hold even more true when it comes to the Edmonton Oilers. Uh, Skill-wise, he is very important to the organization. Emotionally, he is an influence. Uh, he wears his heart on his sleeve, which is uh, perfect uh, as a segue, going over to our gear segment, which is the chest and the arms uh, this week with the Bauer Hyperlight as we Slide over to the hockey shop, thehockeyshop.com, source for sports Surrey, and spend some time in the basement with Woody and Cam. Welcome back to the hockey shop, source for sports. We're down here in Goalie Utopia once again, and, and once again, it's a happy time of year because it's new gear season. Uh, we talked to you about the Bauer 3X line that launched last week. We talked to you about a month ago about the Hyperlite line. Cam's already selling both like hotcakes down here in Goalie Utopia at the hockey shop and thehockeyshop.com. But today, we move on to the chest protector. The new Bauer Hyperlite Vapor Hyperlite chest protector. And the first thing that comes to my mind, Cam, when I hear that there's a new chest protector is why? because we had such good feedback on the 2X Pro. Um, we had junior, major junior, junior A goalies that tested our demo unit and actually went out and purchased it. They loved the mobility. What changes here and why change on something that seemed to be so popular? So popular, in fact, I understand it was hard to keep it in store. It, it, and it was, and it was. But you know what? It, rather than the words, what changed? Let's, let's go with what got better. Because how do you make something great amazing elite you know words escape me a little bit because well, especially when it's words about being great and elite i can imagine why yeah, they i was just trying to describe yeah. you in net no oh, i was thinking like just words you're not used to using anyways go ahead because it does seem to apply here <laughs> so what really does set this aside from the 2x and make it better is the refinements and that ability rather than the word changes how can i make something better that was already fantastic um, we're still having similar foam, so Curvex Composite is still featured in the chest, but one of the things that really did change was that sternum plate. So uh, a little bit of feedback that we did get was that hard uh, Curvex sternum plate that was sitting in the uh, 2X. Uh, it was just a little weird for rebounds. It created a hard thud, especially as you were getting kind of clocked right in that uh, like cradle motion, right in the breastbone chest area sort of thing. So Bauer switched up a little bit. They actually added their shock light material too, which we find in the catch gloves. Currently, so a little bit of that uh, dampening absorption to help that vibration stop, you know, coming through the chest and actually hurting you by any means, but also allowing that absorption to it as well. So you're not having that kind of pop. Uh, it's more of that stay and die. So it's a little bit easier for you to cradle actually off of that uh, sternum plate. So again, Re rebound control foam, it's called. Uh, it's actually the shock light if you read a little bit into it, but rebound control foam calling out this area but shock light foam's the actual foam that's used. All right, okay, so what's next? Keep going. So as you kind of go through, uh, change the shoulder floaters around a little bit, um, just allowing for a bit more segmentation and wrap to the actual floater itself, so not as rigid and sticking up as much as the 2X was. Um, nice little addition on the outer side, so we got a bit more of a shoulder cap and a little bit over to create some extra coverage between where the arm and the actual chest meets. You're not getting any squeakers kind of right above there to tag you just basically uh, just below that shoulder. Uh, adjustable arms, so it's easy to help dial in the fit here. So this is something they showed off on their Elite, their mid-range level chest. Um, brought over here to their Elite, being their uh, Hyperlite chest. 
Used to be laced in arms for the 2X, switched over to this Velcro system, a little bit easier adjustable, a little bit easier for your growing kid to get in, which is very, very important. Um, so again, we kind of have that leeway room to fit you into something that's a little bit bigger, but cinch you tighter and allow you to grow into it. Okay, now speaking of fit and the ability to sort of adjust things, uh, this one's a little big, this is an XL, so it might be a little big on me, but we were able, because it's a little long in the torso, yours still has it, we took mine off, um, the ability to sort of add and make it longer as your as your child grows. Yes, so uh, these extra extension flaps uh, for someone who A, doesn't tuck in, needs a little bit longer in the body, growth room, things like that. Great optional addition. So still the same style of padding. It's just velcroed in onto the bottom of the chest. You've got the two along the sides and then the one in the middle. Uh, for someone that does tuck in, um, likes the chest a little bit shorter, again, easy enough to remove, velcro right out and toss them somewhere that you won't forget or forget them, who cares? If you don't need them, you need them. If you don't, you need them. Yes. And if your kids grow and it's an extra option there, I never thought in terms of fit as well. So good option both ways. So overall, to me, what really kind of speaks out uh, to this chest is the initial mobility when you put it on. Uh, it's quite easy to move around. Kevin can show you, he can touch his head pretty easily. There's no issues taking his hat off, showing you his greasy flow that he's got going. It's just everything about it really does work and it's really mobility focused. So if you're a goalie, Loves his mobility, doesn't want to sacrifice much in the protection department because this unit does not. Pipe light's a great choice. Is that where this is maybe one of the improvements from the 2X line? Because mobility out of, we, I think the word we described or the, the phrasing we used to describe the 2X Pro was it fit like a hoodie. It was like putting on a hoodie. But the, I will say the one thing over time was guys started to feel things in the arms. Mm -hmm. So this feels like it's got that same range of mobility Feels like there's a little more protection here. So here's how we can address some of that concern. So if that is one of your concerns, especially with arm protection, order it custom. Options? Lots of options. So quick overview of the options. I noticed that there's a couple different colors here as well. Obviously I've got a black unit, you've got a gray. Are there color custom options as well? Correct, yeah, there's quite a different few different zones that you can customize. Uh, they have an example of it on mybower.com. Cam, you idiot. The Hyperlite Chest Customizer is not online, but customers can find out about and order all custom options through you at the hockey shop. Um, that said, uh, in terms of for what you can do, beef up the forearm, sorry, forearm, beef up the bicep. It's, it's okay, I understand you don't know what a bicep is. It's just, again, part of your own anatomy. The wish watch is connected to my something. Um, Shoulder floaters can be beefed up as well. Um, custom fit for the arms, so I can actually shorten the wrist by just a little bit more in case that that large arm doesn't quite fit you and you just need a little bit more mobility. Or say you do need it a little bit longer, once again, uh, a quick option there for you. Uh, overall, uh, a couple different color zones you can pick from. Uh, add your name to it so you can get that nice personalization and away you go. I do like the one thing that we tend to do, you know, we make jokes about my greasy flow and taking the hat off. But as much as everybody sort of checks the hair and we had some conversations on the women's side of the game where it's important to be able to do the ponytail after you got the chesty on. Um, usually the more important thing is can you sort of, can you move your hands out in front of your body? Can, is it easy to cradle pucks? And even though this might be a size too big for me, there's still that, that full sort of range of motion. I could probably pop you one, although 
it's early in the day. We, we probably should save the hitting cam thing for later. Um, maybe some gear testing later on. Some live ammo. We'll put you in this. No cup. Just straight shots from 10 feet. Okay. <laughs> it's early here, folks. We're down here in Goalie Utopia before anybody else. Little squirrely. Could use an extra cup of coffee. But also excited because of the new Hyperlite chest protector. If you've got any questions about this, about the custom options, about what he's got in stock, about how to order yours from Cam at the Hockey Shop or thehockeyshop.com. Where can they get you? 604-589-8299. And for those calling from other areas, 1-800-567-7790. He's got it figured out, folks. All right, Cam, thanks for having us down in the Hockey Shop. Thanks, Kevin. Uh, in, in the time that we've been doing this podcast, I am a big believer in the, uh, in the chest and arm and like the whole fitting of it. I used to just walk in, throw it on out and, uh, and what you got, you guys have changed me, uh, on this. And, the the Hyperlite sounds like a, a great improvement over, uh, what was already a, a great product. Uh, what, what was Cam's phrasing there? Uh, something good, uh, to something great. And, and that's, uh, that's pretty appropriate. It is a little different in feel, like, uh, and and Hutch can weigh in in terms of the two X Pro and how it felt. Um, like it was almost like a sweatshirt. Like it was so, it just went on like you were throwing on an old favorite hoodie and played right away in it. Um, this one's a little more rigid in spots. Still really good mobility. Like like it's on that higher end scale of mobility, but it's not quite that. Like, I don't know that I've ever had a chesty go on the way that 2X Pro did. Like I said, like the sweatshirt was such a good analogy. It was like throwing on an old hoodie. Um, this feels a little more rigid out of the box, but there's more protection there. I think that's important. Uh, and there's still a lot of mobility. You can feel how it's going to break in and get to that 2X Pro, um, but maybe not to the point where the 2X Pro was in terms of feeling pucks. There's a little, there's just enough added protection here. Hutch, what's your... Uh commentary on the 2x pro and then uh, over to the hyperlight uh, because you spent a lot of time dealing with uh, this equipment and especially this type of uh, gear uh, for young maddie uh yeah well we had our test set over here uh first it's on the mainland with woody and some of the guys he's working with now but uh maddie used it quite a bit and i got it into a few junior a goaltenders over here and uh, i mean just to echo what woody said i mean the first junior a goaltender we put it on he's now an ncaa goalie uh his comment was I'd wear it in a game tonight. And that's that's an unusual thing uh, for a chesty. And he really enjoyed working with it for a while for us and, and got one of his own. Um, it, but also great to see those improvements because uh, the one that stood out for me, Cam was talking about the breastplate um, causing some pop-outs, uh, tough to control rebounds off the chest. And we found that absolutely to the point that uh, we were looking at solutions for laying down our own foam over top of that to try and deaden the rebounds a little bit. And uh, so I'm really glad to see that Bowers uh, recognized that and changed this year's model. And I was, you know, so excited to hear Cam talk as I was editing um, about the customizer that I literally hopped onto the, the Bauer website to try and customize the set so we could order it. And uh, didn't really work out for me, Woody. I texted Woody, Woody, where is this thing that Cam was talking about? And uh, so that's why Siri had to make a, a guest appearance this week. Yeah, and but the good news is you can still get those custom options if you talk to Cam directly at the Hockey Shop or reach out to him through the channels at thehockeyshop.com. He will take care of you. I got to admit, it wasn't he wasn't on his A game. 
he felt bad when we texted that and asked, uh, you remember that uh, customizer you talked to? Like, he had a bit of a rough morning, and you'll see it even more so in the Hyperlite stick review we have coming next week. Cam was not batting a thousand, and I may have had to lay into him with a couple of chops to get him awake uh, when we recorded these segments. Uh, next week's sticks, uh, I can't wait to hear about the, the idea to go with a, with a shorter handle. Yeah, there's that, there's an, and there's also a new handle. A new, the, the grip where you hold it actually has contour to it under your hand on the, on, on the, not on the paddle, but on the actual, the bottom of the shaft. Really? Um, and, and we'll, we'll explain all that next week and, and show how it works and how it feels. Um, so yeah, they're trying to, Hey, listen, one thing about Bauer, right. And we've, we've been very proactive about this and very supportive of it. We like it when companies try new things and they've done it again with the Hyperlight stick. Anything that helps Cam get a grip. Uh, I'm, I'm in favor of, of that. Uh, Hutch, uh, we have Sensorina, Sensorina VR, the feature interview with Mike DiPietro uh, coming up in just a little bit. And uh, the beat uh, just goes on with Sensorina. What, uh, what uh, do you have in store for us this week? It sure does. And listen, I'm excited about this interview coming up. It would be on my top 10 list uh, that we did last week and uh, a little late to break in there. But uh, thank you to Sensorina for bringing it to us. We are into another week of the Sensorina Skills Competition. Is it week four, I think, of five? And I uh, hope you two guys get your, your attempts in there. This week, a little bit more challenging, I think. Last week, um, you know, the leaderboard, I think the top 10 or more, uh, we're at 100% save percentage across all of, the, uh, of all of the drills in the competition. And guys, like the, the shots, as Bill Ranford told us, he said the shots that you're seeing in Sensorina are tougher than what he saw in the National Hockey League. And we've got a whole pile of people making all the saves in this competition. It's just a really, really impressive stuff and a great opportunity to level up your game and try and see where you stand in the, uh, you know, the worldwide sense arena goaltending community. And I uh, love that they've put the competition on. You still have a chance to get in there. All you have to do is, uh, you know, win one of the weeks or you can be in the top uh, 16. And there's chances, even though you're a little late to the party here, if you're just getting going, uh, you can use social media to get more points like if you've got the top social post of the week i think you get 10 points in the competition which is uh equivalent to 10 place change in your in your standings and uh, you can get extra points for instagram stories all sorts of great stuff so uh great community builder great skills competition uh from a great company that is really changing the game for goaltenders on and off the ice and uh just you know can't wait to see what this what this year is going to bring to the ice. I think you're going to have a lot of goaltenders having a whole lot of success this fall because of the work that they were doing virtually. Okay, so is this the week we get in on the contest, boys? Because I'm guaranteeing, based on my first experience, and it had nothing to do with slamming my hand into my desk, I sucked before that, that I am going to be at the bottom of all these rankings. Um, but I think it's time to put our money where our mouth is and have the three of us in on these final, how many more weeks we got in this contest? Hutch, is there six weeks total? I think, I think two, I think two. we got this week and next week. And then the sixth week is just for the top 16. I believe it is. Well, I'm not going to be in the top 16. So if we're going to have a competition internally, it better be soon, boy. So let's get on this, uh, post some results. We'll, we'll, we'll have, we'll have a, we'll have some fun with this this week and get back to everyone with how it went next week. I'm ready, but I'm worried. I'm worried about you, Woody. Like, can you, can you do it I'm, with your blocker? I'm, worried about Hutch, I, I'm just worried about Hutch having his kid do it for him and us getting yeah, killed. Yeah, I, I got Maddie. I got nothing to worry about. No, no. If, if, if there's uh, an outrageous number, you're disqualified. 
So you better, if you're going to cheat, you better do it well. You can't go from like 33% in math class like I did to to 100% in the exam. And yeah, you have and to make, expect make to get away with it. Le- make Maddie play as a full right so we have a chance. Yeah. There you go. He's done that. He's done that. That's another fun thing you can do in Sense Arena is just switch around. I would love to get uh, Mike DiPietro uh, in on this because he would be like just to have him as the commentator uh, to all of our exploits in Sense Arena would be outstanding. That's the next thing uh, that uh, that we have to put into Sense Arena is just little chirps. If you get scored on, little like the, the Sense Arena VR system drops in a uh, sucked on that one. Something like that. Just a just a chirp. You can you can uh, make it as harsh as you want. But here's Mike DiPietro, censoring a VR feature interview. Uh, not the first time that he's been on the podcast, and won't be the last. Uh, he's one of our favorites, and uh, goes back a number of years. Just uh, an engaging uh, young man and a person that uh, has gone through all kinds of challenges uh, through the course of this this journey, Woody, uh, to get to where he is now, which is overseas. Yeah, 400 plus days without playing a game. And he talked about, you know, the mental battle that that was uh, as a competitive athlete, but also just the challenge. And I think we've heard about this around the league a little bit. Um, You heard it out of Philadelphia with Carter Hart, like how hard this was for young players, especially that when they left the rink under these quarantine conditions, didn't have a family to go home to. They couldn't hang out with teammates. They were alone in their city, and they basically just went back to their apartment every day, hockey, back to the apartment, there for the rest of the night. And I know, like, listen, Elias Pettersson here in Vancouver actually asked him this question on their year-end presser, and you know, he started to talk along those lines and then very carefully caught himself and, and said, but hey, we're, I'm okay. I'm playing hockey for a living. I have it great. And, and yes, that's good to point out. But it really was tough. We heard with Carter Hart in, in Philly, same kind of thing. Like, and I thought Mikey was really open and honest about just the mental toll it took. The fact he didn't even watch hockey when he was at home in the evenings because he didn't want to think about the game in those periods. Like, there's a lot of great takeaways here, um, and a lot of honesty shown by Mikey, and a lot of talk about not just you know mental skills, stopping pucks, but mental health off the ice. And this has been a challenging year. For goalies in every environment, NHL to minor hockey where they couldn't play. It's been a tough year, and he's got some great advice on on sort of how to get through it and some interesting advice on social media. Yes, you're right about that, and it is fabulous. And take that uh, into account. Uh, if you uh, listen to this, uh, let us know what you uh, your thoughts are on the on the social media conversation. But uh, Mike DiPietro, uh, he is soothing his uh, isolation with a chat with Kevin Woodley. Sense Arena VR feature interview on Ingoal Radio, the podcast. Welcome back to the Ingoal Radio podcast, Michael DiPietro, and uh, with some exciting news. Just a couple of days ago, find out you're going back to the World Championships. You've been there before with Hockey Canada, return engagement. Um, how excited are you to put that, you know, I see world juniors, world championships, you've worn the Maple Leaf before. Does it, does it lose any of its edge at all? Is it still just as exciting when you get that call? Yeah, it's, it's, it's super exciting. Um, it definitely doesn't lose an edge anytime you have an opportunity to represent your country. Um, I think this would be my sixth, sixth time to represent on the, on the national stage. So, uh, I'm super excited for the opportunity. I'm honored. I'm blessed. And, uh, yeah, it was certainly crazy kind of how it all kind of went down. Um, certainly unexpected, 
that's kind of the last thing on my mind when I first arrived in Utica and stuff. Um, but you know, after a couple of games in and getting the call, it was, uh, it was a pleasant surprise and it, and it just gave, gives me an opportunity of, you know, something else to look forward to in such a, such a different year. Um, but, but it really just kind of, uh, you know, it, it paid off like the hard work and, and the grind it was for the, for this past 14 months. So I'm, I'm really happy and excited for the opportunity to represent Canada. Now who I've talked to a couple different guys. Sometimes this call is someone from their own management staff. Sometimes it's somebody from hockey Canada. Who'd you get the call from? Uh, first clerk, he gave me a call, uh, kind of giving me a heads up that this, uh, might be coming down the pipeline and seeing if I was even interested. He knew it was kind of a crazy year, but, um, you know, he and I had a good conversation. We, we both thought it was a really good opportunity and a really good idea, um, you know, to go. And obviously for me personally, like being able to represent your country, um, you know, at any time, I think is, is a yes for me, no matter what point of the career I'm at. Um, it's always hard, you know, to say no, I guess, to Canada. So um, I think for me, no matter what happens in my hockey career, if I'm ever given an opportunity to play, I think I'd, uh, I'd for sure say yes. So uh, after talking with Clarky, I got a call from Roberto and uh, he and I had a good conversation and obviously kind of you know, it takes you a little back when you get a call from Roberto for sure. And, uh, you know, you don't want to say the wrong thing, um, but super excited. And, um, you know, like I said, I'm just really, uh, really honored to be a part of this team and, uh, and really just another great experience. What's that? I was trying to do the mental math in my head. Like Roberto's out of the organization in Vancouver by the time you arrived. So had you ever had an interaction with him? I mean, Hey, those of us who have been around him, it, it's like, hey, it's Roberto Luongo. Cool. But like, is there a sort of like, hey, it's Roberto Luongo, future Hall of Famer, like, you know, Olympic gold medal <laughs> winner calling me. Did you have any of that moment or had you interacted with him in the past? Well, it's funny you bring that up. Uh, my second year in Windsor, um, I was actually brought down. I went to a Wings game at the Joe and Jimmy Bedard at the time was a goalie coach in Detroit. And he was helping out um, with me in Windsor. Uh, and the Spitfires a little bit with his free time. And he knew I was at the game. So I got a call from Jimmy to come down and meet him. Uh, so I met Jimmy down there and Jimmy brought me to Roberto's on Florida at the time. And he brought me down the tunnel and, and right after the national anthem, Roberto wasn't playing and he kind of tapped Roberto on the shoulder. And like, I quickly met him there at Joe at the Joe and for him to take the time for me, um, you know, it was super special. It was awesome. And I'm not sure if Roberto even remembers doing that. Um, but, but I certainly do. And then, um, I didn't really hear from him for a couple of years. And then after world juniors, he reached out to me and kind of, you know, congratulated me there on a text, which was really, which was really cool. It's almost a thing you have to read twice kind of thing. Be like, Hey, it's Roberto Luongo. And I'm like, Oh my God. Okay. Hey, it's Roberto Luongo. <laughs> it's, uh, it's pretty cool. So uh, I met him a couple of times, but that was probably the first time we actually had an ext- like an extended conversation and, um, you know, for me, I'm just excited to get to know him more, the coaching staff there more, and, uh, and obviously my teammates, uh, you know, for the next three weeks. Well, like you said, this has been a tough 14 months for everyone. I mean, this has not been an easy time on anyone, but for you in particular, your season ends in, in March of 2020, like everyone's did, um, because of COVID, because of the pandemic, you come back with the Canucks, but on the taxi squad, don't get a game in for over 400 days. Um, before now going down to Utica for the end of the season and getting, you know, four or five games in. Um, what's the hardest part of that? And how like how mentally challenging was that to like to go through a stretch that long at this stage of your career, coming off a really good first year pro? 
You know, I think for me, that was, that was probably the toughest thing that I've ever had to do uh, from, from a mental perspective. Um, yeah, you, you talk about playing games and, and staying, you know, so, so long out of it, which it is true, but mentally um, kind of training your body, uh, you know, for a season that you don't know when it's going to happen. And then kind of the season happens and it just seems like, you know, every time you kind of take a step forward, you know, some adversity gets thrown your way. So it's, I think, you know, over these past 400 plus days before I got to play my first game, um, I think I went through every possible emotion uh, that you could probably, you could probably go through uh, between anger, frustration, happy. Um, but, you know, I really leaned on my mental skills coach, National Patel, and, you know, my family and my mom, and my dad, uh, my brother, and just kind of, you know, when there are days where, you know, you're going to the rink and it just seems like there's no light at the end of the tunnel and, and things are just, um, you know, just seem to get very redundant. Um, you know, just coming back to things that I can control and I really can't control and just really accepting that and really coming to terms that every day is an opportunity to get better and every day is an opportunity to win the day. And that, that those phrases right there have allowed me to, you know, get the most out of each and every day, whether it be on the taxi squad, uh, whether it be, you know, I come down here and, you know, sometimes, you know, you know I only get to play four games. Um, you know, just stuff like that. Sometimes there's just things out of your control that, you know, you have no, that you have no control over, but you have to come, come to terms to accept it and realize what you're going to do with that information. And for me, I just try to channel it in the most positive way to hopefully just keep progressing in my career. And I was happy with, you know, with the four games I was able to put forward here. And I really thought my game took a big jump and I know people are going to say it's only four games, but at the end of the day, like, you know, those four games, I felt really comfortable and, and I made some significant strides in my game. So when camp comes around next year, I look forward to continually pushing and, and hopefully, you know, earning a spot or at least making it hard on them to make their decision. Now, we can talk a little bit. I want to go over some of those details because I've had the privilege of getting to watch you and Ian Clark work, you know, on that taxi squad, a lot of long sessions. I certainly wasn't there for all of them, but I got to see a few because there were, there were they were long and there were many. Um, but just, I want to revisit that mindset thing and those two sort of key phrases. Cause I think sometimes those things, it's a, it's a mentality and an attitude that everyone should embrace that. I think, you know, if, if you're a goalie and cause there's a lot of young goalies right now that have gone through a year where maybe in, depending on what region they're in, they haven't played a game either. They've only been allowed to practice or even on a, even if you get in a situation where you're not playing as much, you know, where you're a backup that you think maybe you should be playing more where, being able to embrace that mindset is important. Again, so often those things are easy to say and hard to do. Was it having that catchphrase something that sort of drove you back to the mindset or did it take some time to get to that point? I think it took some time. Um, you know, I think, you know, with, with mental skills and mental health, you know, you never reach a point where it's like, okay, like I'm, I conquered it. Like I'm good. You know, you don't need to work on it. I think it's like a daily thing where you have to constantly work at your mental health and your mental strength. Um, you know, things that help me in a season where you're basically isolated from everybody um, was in my apartment. I just had sticky notes and I, I wrote a stick, I wrote win the day on a sticky note and I put it on the door of my apartment. So every time I'd open the door, going to the rink in the morning, no matter what time it was, I did, that'll be the last thing I looked at before heading to the rink and, um, it just kind of switched off a trigger in my brain just to, okay, just embrace what, what, whatever today may come or whatever, you know, cards you, you are dealt today, make the best of it. And that really helped me. And then just, 
you know, once practice ended and you really reflect on it, um, did I control what I can control today? Was today an opportunity for me to get better? And did I get better? And, you know, sometimes in the skates, you know, you're out there for 20 minutes, 30 minutes. Sometimes you take one timers, you know, right at the beginning after a morning skate and you're, you know, you're skating on the choppy ice after they're done their morning skate. So, you know, those little things may not seem very big, but, you know, when you're doing it on a day-to-day basis, those things can weigh on you mentally. And, you know, sometimes, you know, you feel like you're working with no end in sight, like with no kind of reward. But I think relying on my family and like I said earlier, my friends and uh, my mental skills coach and kind of really seizing each day and seizing the opportunity to be around the NHL guys on a daily basis. You know, it was a great learning experience for myself to be around Clarkie as well and kind of picking his brain and working on concepts. So, you know, so quickly I find nowadays for people to be so negative and to feel so sorry for themselves, um, you know, because sometimes especially with the personality that I have, I want things done like yesterday and I'm very impatient. Um, But I think as I get older and I come to terms with, okay, you know what? Everybody has their own path and their own plan. And I think for me, I like, I like the strides that my game has taken from a physical perspective, but also I like the, the strides I have taken personally from a maturity perspective. And, and though, and that's most important because, you know, I'm a hockey player second and I'm a person first. And I think, I think that's important. And sometimes people like forget that. So that's, uh, that, that's how I personally feel. All right. That's well said. Now, again, I want to get to the, some of the changes and, and the evolution there and some of that work, but you talked about part of that is getting stuck in those drills where there's elements of that, where it's target practice, right? Where you really are the target. And we've talked to guys, you know, at different times over the past couple of years about, how do you manage that? Because I, I think I used to write stories even about how like, oh, these practices, they don't think of the goalie. It's not for the goalie. Why do they make them do it? And yet it seems that the guys that find ways to embrace it um, rather than just getting pissed at it, make strides from it. What were, what did you take? Like if you're, you got to sit there and take one tease at this elite level and over and over again, or endless odd man rushes, like, how do you find ways to get better in those moments where there really aren't position friendly? Well, I think, you know, for the first part of it is, you know, you try to pick out something in a drill that maybe isn't conducive to you that you can take from it and work on. So for example, let's say like, a, um, you know, for morning skate, for example, usually I, on the road, I'd be taking one timers at the end of the morning skate. And those would be most likely the first pucks I'd see. Um, until the guys left the ice and I can get some work in with Clarky. Um, so I think for me heading into those skates, it was just being quick to position, you know, beating the pass, making sure I arrived early and you know what pucks are going to come and, you know, (laughs) you know, you're going to get hit in the head. You're going to get stingers. And I think just fully, you know, accepting that. And what actually really helped too was, uh, this new neutral mindset thinking I was working on my mental skills coach of. You know, sometimes the saying is, you know, expect the unexpected, but what if like you flip it and you expect the expected? So in the sense of, you know, you're going to enter, you know, you're going to enter this practice. I'm cold, you know, the players are warm and I'm going to take one timer. So most likely I'm going to take a few high risers. I'm probably going to get one in the head. Now, what am I going to do about it? And so instead of having that negative mindset of, oh my God, here we go again with one timers, you know, these are going to hurt. It's kind of like, you know what? Okay, Mike, be quick to position, be ready, 
and just expect that every puck's going to come right at your head and, you know, get your head in front of it because, you know, it only hurts for a second. And, you know, that really helped me anyways from, you know, from a one-timer's perspective, you know, as silly as that sounds, expecting the expected helped me kind of get through those tough points in the skates where sometimes that isn't conducive for the goalie and not everything is going to be goalie friendly, but if you can work on something and kind of making sure you kind of have a neutral mindset or a more positive outlook, because as soon as you get negative and as soon as you go into a more angry mindset or, you know, your focal point kind of zeroes in on like just one spot and you can't really see everything else around you. So that then everything else suffers. You can't track the puck, you, your body language, everything kind of delays. So that, uh, that, that's kind of what helped me. Now you give a shout out to your mental skills coach. Cause I know in the past, like when, you know, we've talked, it's been when you're with hockey Canada and guys like Ryan Hamilton and you know, the messages on the blocker and, and you're a guy that's always sort of looked for new voices and new people just to get diverse opinions. So who are you working with now? And, and I'm, I'm fascinated by the neutral mindset theory. Cause it sounds like it's been a real positive one. Yeah. I work with uh, Ashwin Patel. Um, you know, I met him through the comets last year and we've worked together for the past two years now. And uh, you know, he actually helps out the Guelph storm in the OHL and he's, he's an individual who, you know, I can call, I probably talk to three, four times a week. You know, some calls I just call and I start yelling and venting and screaming. Other ones I just kind of ask him, bounce a few ideas off of him. And sometimes I just want to hear his his perspective on things. And, um, you know, he opened me up to a few books to read and stuff like that, which has really helped me. And, uh, and especially during a time like this. So, you know, I, I honestly can't say enough great things about Ash and what he's been able to do for me, not only from, you know, a, a performance perspective, just but also a mental health perspective. Curious, can you share the books? Like, because we, we always have goalies that are looking for reading lists and we often ask guys, what are you reading? What's helped you? Are there a couple there that you think apply, whether it is mental skills for hockey or mental health as well? I think, you know, for me, my favorite one is A Champion's Mind by Dr. Aframau. It's unbelievable. I think, um, you know, it kind of touches on multiple sports, about, like multiple sport athletes. Um, and kind of what they do, but also, you know, there are some exercises in there that you can practice. So I just try to, like, I've already read it and I'm rereading it, just taking a couple pages a day. And, you know, it really helps you work on these, uh, these exercises and, and these techniques that uh, otherwise you kind of would look over. And something that stuck out to me was there, there's a quote in this book saying uh, a gold medal mentality and having that. And, so if they use an example in golf, if your handicap is, let's just say a 15, let's just say your bronze performance would be a 14 to an 11. Uh, your silver performance would be a 10 to a six. Your gold performance would be a six to a one. And just being able to, you may not reach it every day, but having the full out intention of having a gold medal mentality is, is really uh, something that stuck to me and stuck out to me uh, since January, since I was on the taxi squad and really getting the most of every day. Okay. Now we got to switch to Clark. I love that advice. And I, I, I've, you're not the first one that cited that book in, in these conversations as, as one that people should read. So for all our listeners out there, especially young goalies with lots of time on their hands right now, uh, pick it up and check it out. It's just can't be all Netflix all the time. Right, Mikey? 
That's very true, but uh, I also have watched an unhealthy amount of Netflix and uh, Amazon Prime and Disney Plus during this whole quarantine thing. So I'm not the guy to definitely say don't watch too much Netflix because I will definitely be eating my words. <laughs> now, now, what about that part of this? Like we've heard from guys and you know, we heard Carter Hart this week talking about it as well. Um, the challenge of this season, like forget on the ice and what you went through in terms of not playing a game for so long, but just that fact that, you know, especially for single guys, younger guys, like it's rink, it's home. There's not a lot of interaction. You're on your own a lot. There's a, you know, there's a guy myself who's been married, you know, almost 20 years now. Like I, I could, I, I'm not sure I'd be able to manage that. How, how hard has this been for a lot of young hockey players? It's it's definitely been tough, um, you know, from a personal perspective, you know, you're kicking off the season with the seven day quarantine before camp even starts flying, uh, you know, province to province out to Vancouver and you're quarantining over Christmas. Um, you know, you don't really get to celebrate Christmas with your family. And it just kind of set the tone for the year in the sense of, uh, you know, uh, the, the way this year will be is kind of just rank back to the hotel or rank back to your apartment or, or, or wherever you're staying. And, um, it's definitely, it's, it's taken a toll mentally. Um, you know, it, it's not something that you're used to, especially as a young person, but, you know, I'm not going to sit here and, and complain because, you know, uh, I, am blessed enough to have the opportunity to come to the rink every day and do what I love. And it's a small sacrifice to pay to be able to do what I love to do. And, um, you know, obviously it's definitely not ideal, but, you know, I think doing what we have to do and doing our part to be able to make sure we can make the season a go is, was important and is important. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, being isolated all the time and, and being by yourself is, uh, has definitely has had its challenges. And I think we touched on it a lot from the mental side of the game, but just that basic human interaction, especially if you're single, like myself, um, you know, just coming back to nobody, you know, you come back to the apartment and, you know, you're by yourself and, you know, you just, it feels like every day is groundhog day. So, um, yeah, just having is just finding those mental escapes and those mental cues, uh, to kind of reset yourself and making sure you're in a good mind space. But yeah, it's definitely been, been hard. And it, the most important thing is, you know, when you're feeling kind of down or in a dark place, making sure you're talking to someone and, and just kind of getting your mind off of it and making sure you're laughing, making sure you're, you're in a good, good, good space. Did you watch much hockey or when your life is hockey? And I'm guessing this answer varies from a lot of guys. Like, did you come home and watch games around the league? Do you study it at all? Or was that, was home a time to get an escape from it and find other things to, to clear the mind? Yeah, I think for me, um, uh, in a normal world, like in a normal you know time, I think I'd come home and I'd watch some hockey, see, see what would be on. Uh, but I think for, for me this year, uh, with feeling so many different emotions, and basically I'm watching, I watched every hockey game that Vancouver played, you know, I think for me, I, I got to the point where, you know, I watched enough hockey and I know that, you know, other people around the league are, um, you know, getting the opportunity to play and everything like that. And DHL was going at the time. So uh, for me, uh, I'm, I'm a very competitive person. So I didn't want to uh, really see any external factors that would, impact my mental health in a negative way and rile me up um, into a way that really I could not control. So it just kind of triggered back to, you know, I get my work in at the rink. Although I did watch a lot of video uh, with Curtis Sanford while I was in Vancouver and 
with my goalie coach back home, Perry Wilson, just watching clips of Jonathan Quick and, and UC Soros and watching my clips from the summer uh, training. So just things like that to get better. Um, but yeah, I just kind of steered away from watching games this year. Okay, well, I want to ask you about some of the changes and some of the work I got to see you do within Clark, but I definitely don't want to lose either of those two in this conversation either. I know Perry Wilson's been a big part of your path to here, and I know Curtis Sanford in this market in Vancouver, um, so much of the focus is on Ian. I think sometimes Curtis gets overlooked for all the work he's done um, with a lot of guys coming through the system, and so I want to make sure we don't do that, um, but I got to ask you, watching, like, what has been the focus? What in your mind has evolved the most? Uh, maybe even last season and into this season, I know things like when I watch, just watching you from a distance, it looks like maybe like chest angle a little more upright last year seemed to be a focus. I watched the movement patterns this year. And then you talked about, you know, post play and you mentioned Jonathan Quick. I couldn't help but notice maybe even just recently somewhat that's sort of one shoulder inside the net from post play. So there's a lot I just threw at you. Pick one. Tell me, like, where, 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 where's the game evolved? And I love watching you guys do crease work. I'm going to be honest. That's going to total goalie geek loser sitting up in the press box, <laughs> watching you guys do crease work, narrow stance, you know, shuffle, shuffle, shuffle into the post, reverse, across, reverse, and up. Like, the speed with which you guys execute that just blows me away watching it. Well, I'm glad you like watching it because when we do it, I'm, I'm dog tired at the end. So I'm glad you like watching it, but uh, um, yeah, I think, I think uh, the biggest thing with Clarkie and with Sam and, and I've said it uh, multiple times that, you know, they don't force anything on you. Uh, you know, they kind of give you a concept, but most importantly, they give you the reason why and, and how this will help your game in a positive way. And they show you with video, they show you on the ice. And so it, it allows you to kind of mentally cue and mentally click. So I think last year, you know, you talk about my chest angle. It was really more so of just relaxing my stance, you know, with perimeter play, making sure I have a balanced into my high stance, medium and low. When pucks go D to D at the point or, or it's more perimeter stuff, I'm more relaxed. I'm not as engaged. That way I could really, you know, conserve my energy, making sure I could get quick to position and moves and being ahead of the play. So that was really a driving force early on in last season. Um, and, and as the season progressed, uh, you know, it got better. And then heading into last summer, uh, the next kind of thing I wanted to tackle was being a smaller guy, you know, your eyes and everything are just so important. And, you know, your eyes drive your rotation. They drive everything. And making sure I can track high-rising pucks, you know, especially being a small guy that, you know, I'm not just making a save with my shoulder, with my head, not tracking it. It's just reactionary because the puck is in the air. You don't know where it is and then you're relocating it. So making sure I can really have a visual attachment on high rising pucks, you know, when they come off your shoulder, you know, where they are, you know, you can see it where the puck's going and being able to drive, you know, your, your next save process into the next play. So that was something I really worked on with uh, with Perry in, the, in uh, I guess, the off seasons this this past year. Um, and then heading into to this season, the new the new concept that we worked on was more post play uh, with with Clarkey and being able you touched on looking over the shoulder uh, like Jonathan Quick does in the net. It allowed me to have same same side net coverage, but also allowed me to kind of have a good two thirds look and 
be able to have a good visual behind the net. So it really drives my reverse. It, it's but it's all triggered by, by the anchor light. So I think, um, well, when I mean my game's evolved, I think we slowly chipped away at things that needed to be worked on. But now I think it's all coming together nicely, and I think it it, it proved in these past four games that that uh, the system is coming along. I was going to ask you because, and to be honest, I'm stealing it from somewhere else because I heard you on another show here in Vancouver earlier today talking about, and I think it's a it was just such a good example that post play and the concept that they're not just treating every goalie the same and forcing them to do the same thing. Cause we watched Markstrom when he was here with Ian and now Thatcher, both really big guys that can, you know, I know some people would call it a double seal Ian calls it reverse tracking where you've got one skate on each post and it works for them and they execute it at a level that sometimes blows me away, but not necessarily for you. And so can you walk us through that process of trying those different things and kind of realizing like, Hey, like for me, this might have to be a little different. Yeah. And, um, you know, you talked to, you talked about Thatch's size and obviously Thatch being a big guy and he has long limbs that he's able to do a reverse track and be able to have, you know, center neck coverage as long as bottom neck coverage on either post, um, you know, which is a really valuable position, especially when, Teams these days are just throwing pucks to the middle of the ice. Sometimes when you lose visual attachment to a puck in an instant, you still have that center neck coverage, uh, w- which Thatch has due to reverse track. And, um, you know, Clarkie, he realizes that because of my size, I can get in a reverse track, but just because of my length that I have, that I'm too wide and that I won't be able to shift as quickly to have a short side neck coverage if the you know, the puck squirts out to the near side to bring my body over. So we started working on the first trip in Calgary um, of the season of reverse track and kind of dipping my shoulder back into the net and kind of getting a full visual and a full picture while still maintaining, you know, some neck coverage with my body, even though my, my head's in the net basically, but my back and my pad, I still have some same side neck coverage. So it works, and, and I think what Quickie does is, is valuable. And if you, you look at Quickie's video, and he, when he's down in a reverse VH and he, his anchor leg's back in the net, he actually flips his stick around. And basically, if the puck transfers sides to his glove side, he leads with his stick. So if it's a short play out, he actually covers – it buys him time with his stick to get over there. So it's just, you know, no – always play the same way. And I think you know that, and I know that it's just finding solutions that work for you. And, you know, Clarkie and, and Curtis Sanford have allowed me to kind of grow my game within, you know, their kind of recipe book that they give you. And uh, like I said, I really like where it's headed. And uh, like, are you, when you watch video with them, like, do you guys look at clips of other guys and look for examples and try and find things? Is there you know, is there a back and forth in all these conversations as opposed to, like you said, it's not just a, a dictation. This is the way we do it, guys. Yeah, like uh, I think it's it, we have a pretty open dialogue. And, uh, you know, with Clarky, when, when he and I watched video this year, a lot of it had to do with was quick light shuffles of, of track down plays down the wall. And we looked at a lot of clips of Bobrovsky when he was in Columbus and being able to, you know, he almost... <laughs> Clarky calls him the hovercraft. Like he, he's so quick with his feet. It's, it's, it's unbelievable. And then, you know, I got to Utica and even when I was in Vancouver doing, you know, video calls with Sandman, 
just looking at Jonathan quick clips, um, you know, just making sure these mental cues that I can see it working, even though I'm practicing it in practice, you know, you actually see it in a game. So, you know, when I was put in these situations, I was like, okay, this works. And I feel comfortable about it because I've seen it, you know, I've seen how this works. So I think um, whenever you can see somebody else who you try to emulate your game after or who inspires you, um, it's helpful. But at the end of the day, you got to do it yourself, which is important. Like that shuffle, that the hovercraft, the the narrow stance, the play on the perimeter, coming down the wall. Obviously, I've watched you guys work on that a lot, and I talked about, and then that transition into reverse and across and out. Was the shuffle part of your game? Like, has it always been part of your game, or is this again? Is that another element? Like, would you have sort of either drifted in a straight line back? I'm trying to remember back to junior. Would be coming back in a drift. Would you be t pushing into that post? Like, is that like it seems like it might be? A, that's a it seems simple watching you do it. And yet I, th- I have a hunch this might've been a big adjustment. To be honest, it was a massive adjustment because in junior, if you look back at my old clips when I was in Windsor, um, before I even was drafted, um, I don't think I did a T-push. Like as weird as that sounds, like I thought I was doing T-pushes, but what they were were just really elongated shuffles. And it was like you, you, you end up losing your angle if you do an east west play and you don't use a t push or and i found myself getting beat short side because if you shuffle that move you're going on a straight line across so you're yeah, no you're, rotation you're staying with the depth you're no rotation so you lose your angle so i think when these concepts are introduced to you or when they were introduced to me it was like oh yeah i do that but then i look back at video that they show and be like okay i'm not doing that <laughs> and then like the track down shuffles like or, or a net play system. I had no net play system. I was just kind of like read, react, and, and kind of see what happens. But now I look at the game in a, in a completely different way where it's more of like your strategic play in the sense of like, hey, this is what I'm covering. This is all I really need to do. I don't need to gain as much depth or I need to give back depth to gain angle or stuff like that. So it's uh, I play the game in a more strategic way because of the footwork that, Clarky and Sandman have been able to ingrain in me because I just have these, these new tools I can apply in certain points, you know, in a game or, or off the rush or stuff like that to be able to balance out, uh, balance out different attacks. You talk about balance in your game. You know, I remember coming out of uh, when you were drafted and coming out of junior and even, you know, being at, at the camps at Hockey Canada was so much compete and battle. You haven't lost that. That's still there. How do you keep that balance? And is that all these technical elements, are they just a foundation that maybe leaves you, maybe the battle comes in a little later in a sequence? Like, how do you, how do you stay Mikey DiPietro and add all these things? You know, that was a question I kind of asked myself when all these new concepts were kind of introduced to me, because, you know, for me, it's like, as soon as I get introduced to a concept that I really like, I want it in my game, like now. But I think the biggest thing you, whenever you talk to Ian, um, he talks about things happen organically and letting things happen in your game. You work on them in practice, but when the game comes, it's your sandbox and you just play. And I think um, just letting things happen organically over time and being able to apply all these different, you know, between balancing your foot workout, uh, using your high stance, medium and low, tracking pucks in and out of you, making sure you, you're, 
your depth management on different rush situations are, are managed allow you to play the game with more control and with more precision, but then also, you know, that competitiveness, that drive, um, that compete level isn't a save selection. It's a last resort. And I think in junior that competitiveness and that say was actually like a save selection. And I think uh, as after the, the initial shot, it was, it was like nine one one battle mode, like let's go. But now it's more of like, okay, I have that in my back pocket, but do I really need to use it here? And so, you know, killing plays, putting pucks in good situations, those all help with driving a more calm game. And you talked about tracking. I know that was something that you worked on through Hockey Canada. Like, does it fit in with all this as well? Like, but sort of the, the foundations of tracking through all of these principles, they all still work together. Yeah, of course. Like, I'm, uh, I'm a pretty open-minded guy when it comes to the, the goaltending position I want to take as much as I can so when I, when tracking kind of first got introduced to me it was at Hockey Canada camp with Lyle Mast and Lyle and I still have a great relationship and you know for me it's I want to just be able to take as many things that I can from as many different people that I think have the best interest for myself for my career and just apply it in my own game so I took what Lyle taught me and I, I, I'm still working at it. You know, I'm still just trying to evolve my game with tracking, but also with Clarkie too, making sure I have good eyes, but also making sure my engine runs smoothly and making sure I have good footwork. And I think, um, you know, between good eyes, balanced footwork, um, making sure you hit your spots and you're always ahead of the play, you know, is always a good recipe for a goaltender. No. Like that's a lot, a lot of different changes, a lot of different things. How do you get it so that when you play, like you said, sandbox, just go play. Like, is it, have, were there points along the way where you wondered, man, am I going to be out there thinking? Cause again, you know, cause I'm the old guy. I always say, I always cite Top Gun and everybody looks at me like I have two heads. <laughs> just wait, just wait till the sequel comes out. You'll like it. Um, <laughs> and the line was, if you think out there, you're dead. How do you find that line or did you just rep it out so much that by the time you got into a game, it was instinctual? I think, you know, the goal is to rep it out so much that it becomes instinctual. But I think just the way I'm wired that whenever I get introduced a new concept, I'm thinking about it during a game and I want it to happen. But over time, that'll just go away because, you know, you've done it so much where, okay, it's just happening now organically. But you know, it is true. If you in the goaltending position, I find if you think you'll die, if you're in your head, you know, the puck's already in the net. And, uh, you know, in a position where it's so is the most highly criticized position in hockey, probably. I think it's uh, it's a position where, you know, it's so easy to find faults. And I find it the most critiqued position as well. And everybody kind of has a recipe to stop the puck. But at the end of the day, it's do you stop it or do you not? And then big games, do you show up or do you not? And I think with analytics and everything else out there, um, we kind of lose like the game itself. You know, I find so many fans and players are so in, enthroned with so many different individuals that, oh my God, so-and-so, you know, four points or so-and-so another shutout or, or whatever. But at the end of the day, did the team win the game or did they not? And did the goalie get the win? And I think just doing what it takes to win has been able to, it has been my driving force. That's all, that's all 
you know, when I enter a game now, it's like, okay, get the win. Because at the end of the day, if you win, you are better than the other guy at the other end of the ice. And, and that's what it boils down to. And, and at the end of the day, you know, wins allow your team to make playoffs. Playoffs, if you win games there, you win a championship. And that's why you play the game, is to win championships. So um, personal accolades aside, I think if you enter the game with a clear mind, you know, you're going to be able to just play and, and your system would, you know, would basically speak for itself. Did you find yourself, I mean, so 400 days, Mikey, and all these things that you're working on, and I'm watching you out there. I remember one morning, I think you were out there for two hours and 15 minutes, and I remember Clark yelling at the end of it, time to get off, because <laughs> every, everybody else left, and you went back to increase movement patterns, and not just crease movement patterns, but if I remember correctly, you actually went and placed pucks at different spots around the ice so that you had visual targets for your crease movement patterns, and he had to yell at you to get off. So with all that and all that time, when you go into your first game, were you like, how were you able to clear mind it? Were you, was there any overthinking like that? That to me is a hell of an accomplishment. I was so nervous to be honest with you. I'm going to be completely honest. I we appreciate I the honesty. That game, I thought about the game so much, and you know, I, I make it a point for every game and at the start of every season to win, to win the game, um, and to kind of set the season off right. Um, and, you know, I've been able to do that in junior and into, you know, obviously into pro hockey now, um, just making sure I'm starting the season off right. And yeah, don't, don't get me wrong. I was in, in my head a lot. Uh, you know, there's, I think there are so many um, excuses that one can make for themselves. Oh, it's been over 400 days. You know, he just came out of quarantine. You know, we had one practice under his belt. And I think, you know, for me, I just kind of shut out all the noise. And I think that has a lot to do with me not having any social media, uh, me not kind of buying into um, everything else surrounding it and just worrying about the game. And for me, it was just to the point of, you know, I didn't really have anything to lose or gain by that game. It was just go out there, play, put a good foot forward. And, you know, playing against Rochester, I think the third and fourth shot of the game was – a breakaway and then a penalty shot. And, you know, it's just, it's almost comical in the sense of how it all kind of shook out. And I think it took like nine minutes or something to get me to get my first shot of the game. So it was just like waiting after waiting after waiting. But it's like once that first puck hit, um, you know, the game kind of started for me. And like I said, I thought my system and the adjustments I made over the past 14 months really came to fruition and, and kind of grew. Okay, last one. Um, because we got to give Jaws some love. I saw. Do you guys actually have a Canada set ready to go already? <laughs> yeah. Yes, I do. They're already shipped. Uh, I don't have them with me. They they shipped them to Johnny in uh, in Ottawa. But yeah, they're gonna be they're gonna be ready and crisp and clean for for the tournament. How impressive is that? <laughs> I love I love Brian's. I love I love their gear. I love. Uh, you know, especially they make it like 40 minutes from my house. I grew up wearing Brian's. I actually like my first, my first set of pads when I played triple A was uh, a set of hand-me-downs from a goalie who also played for Sun County. He was older than me and they were Brian's pads and they were Panther pads. And they're just like the face of a Panther on the front of the pad. And I thought like, like they Kevin were the Weeks coolest stuff. Thing. Literally like Kevin Weeks and it was like a full white background, the Panther pads. It was like it, by far the coolest set of pads I've had uh, up to this point until 
you know, I, I absolutely love these new, this new set coming in. And I honestly think it's probably the, one of the nicest sets of gear I've, I've been able to get from Brian's and I'm super excited to uh, dirty him up. And is there a message in the blocker? Do you still go that way or? or... Well, I actually, I handwrite the message. Yeah, I don't have them stitched it in, um, but uh, I do on the actually inside of my goalie pads. I have them hand stitch my uh, county where I'm from back home. And, uh, and it just kind of reminds me of home. So that's kind of the, the touch I get no matter where I am, just reminds me of home. But uh, yeah, I'm super excited for, for these pads. I haven't seen them yet in person. I know there's a few pictures floating around social media, but I don't know, uh, you know, for sure if it's out, out yet, but uh, yeah, I'm super excited. Well, we wouldn't know about it if it wasn't for social media, but good on you for staying off social media. So um, <laughs> it, they, they, they look great. Um, and uh, yeah, listen, you'll have to share. If the blocker message is new, you'll have to share with it with me down the road. Cause I know we had a lot of kids when we ran that article that, you know, just giving them something that helps them focus on. I think it really helps. And sometimes you can get caught looking for ideas and you've had some great ones over the years. So thank you from that on their behalf for sharing it with our audience over the years. And uh, we look forward to catching up continuously as this moves on. Mikey, uh, tough year to go through, but you handled it beautifully. And it's nice to see you get this reward at the end of it. Best of luck at the World Championships with Canada over uh, in Latvia. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. lot to digest there. Uh, first up, social media. Uh, I'll start with Hutch. Uh, play off uh, that commentary and that threat. I think social media is a, a real minefield for everyone, uh, as we all know, and young goaltenders in particular. Uh, I think it's fantastic that Mike was able to bring that point up uh, for everyone. It's, uh, it's just that that feeling it gives everybody with that, that need to keep up, that need to, to be the same as everybody else who is only sharing the, the happiest and, and coolest details of their lives. Um, I think somebody showing that it's okay to not be a part of that and to step away from it is just fantastic advice and, and one that uh, I wish we could all really consider taking. And if, and if not all the time, because it certainly can be really positive as well, uh, taking it with uh, with a grain of salt and maybe in, in small doses. So thanks to Mikey for sharing that with us, guys. Uh, we also have uh, practice habits uh, that are in on this. And so you can pick up on, on the social media, Woody, uh, or you can go into the, the practice habits. I mean, on the social media side, I mean, I just thought it was ironic or interesting that he's got this that sick new set <laughs> of Canada-themed Brian's gear that he took over to the World Championships. And I'd seen a sneak preview. I don't know who leaked it, but someone had leaked it. And it's since been sort of, it's, it's out widespread now, but that I had seen it and he hadn't yet. You know what I mean? Because Ooh. he's not on social media yeah. and that's how that conversation started. And, um, listen, I, I always make the excuse that social media is sort of part of the gig here and we need to be on it. But the reality is I find myself on it way too much and I need to learn to disconnect from it more than I do. And so to hear how healthy it's been for him to walk away completely, I don't think I get that option. Um, but certainly, um, disconnecting from it more frequently than I, than I have in the past has been important for my family's sort of not their mental health, but our group dynamic, um, to set that example at the kitchen table, um, during dinner 
And, you know, you can't ask, I can't ask my two teen daughters to not be on their phone if I'm going to be on mine and things like that. So I, again, I just, it's just a kid that's pretty wise beyond his years, no, and gets a lot of things. And I think practice habits are another one, right? Like, you know, just embracing um, some pretty trying circumstances on the taxi squad um, and get making the most of it. And then when he has downtime, the one thing I loved about the way he approached this year, and I would consider myself blessed to be at the rink for a lot of these sessions, was you didn't need to have Ian Clark out there as the goalie coach running drills. If he was out there with the taxi squad and they didn't have something where he was target practice for the shooters, if he was, he found some way, as he describes, he found a way to get something out of it for himself. But if he wasn't, he directed his own drills. I watched him, whether it was him alone while the play was at the other end of the ice, do crease movement work, but set up pucks all over the ice so he had specific targets. So it was never just aimless skating. It was always two spots, two pucks, using his eyes. We had that drill, the three-puck drill for, for you know collecting uh, loose pucks in front of you that he did, that we had at ingolmag.com for our premium members. What a great simple drill. But something that he did because Thatcher Demko and Braden Holpe had the nets and he was on the ice and he was in the corner. So he used the time constructively. I watched him take other shooters on the taxi squad and instruct them how to do the drills the way he wanted so that he was getting something out of those sessions specific to him. A couple of those we'll have at ingolmag.com in the near future, including one where pass off pad, you know, the shot down the wing, far side pad for a rebound, where he was working, and this is something they've worked on with Ian, and I've seen Thatcher executed a couple times in game, using your control over your boot on a flatter boot angle to take that and purposely put that puck right back out in front of you rather than allowing it to be passed off your pads to the backdoor threat. Great drill. And he was out there after he worked on it with Ian, he was out there making sure to instruct shooters in the taxi squad so he could keep working on it on his own. And to me, that's just the level of dedication that separates him from a lot of prospects who might have more size um, and some other things going for them. And he'll never get outworked in that aspect. And you don't need the goalie coach on the ice to tell you that. And that, to me, is a big difference in Mikey DiPietro and why I think he's going to make it. Amazing initiative. Uh, my mind's blown that that they're working on something as finite as like putting it off your boot uh, and and straight out. Like that that just blows my mind. That the, the skill level of these uh, these athletes. And I and watching like and and seeing them work on it in practice, and then watching Thatcher execute it a couple times in games where you knew the guy shooting far pad to put that rebound off to you know the off wing with a guy driving yeah. back door, and Thatcher gets it off the uh, takes it off the boot and steers it right back up in the direction it was coming. But of course, on a rush chance, that skater's coming down the wing, so you're sending it back to where he shot it, but he's already well past that. You're sending it back into a safe spot. And you're keeping it in front of you and you're not allowing the intention of that pass go off your pads to the back door getting through. But even if there was somebody in front of you, you're square on it already. It was only got it. There were only a couple opportunities where they got a chance to sort of execute it, but seeing it executed after seeing the practice work, I was like, wow, like that's, it was pretty cool. Hutch used to get yelled at for doing that. Now they're doing it on purpose. I don't know. I, I was actually just thinking about the number of times whether it's me or another goaltender has 
has made a similar play, whether it's with the boot or with the blocker. And, and you're like, that's a pass. That yeah. was intentional. Um, so great to see the guys are actually practicing it because for most of us that have ever done that, it's that, that other side that came up in the conversation where you do some things in practice, but then you just sort of let it happen in the game. And so for us, I think it was more instinctual and things just happened. But to see that they're actually repping that out so that those fine details can be put into a game. Fantastic thing. I just want to echo the bit about Mike um, directing the shooters because that is a challenging thing for a young goaltender on the taxi squad in the National Hockey League to have sort of the the chutzpah to, to grab these guys and say, here's what you want to do. But I would say that that's something a goaltender of every age could do. Um, if you're an 11 year old goaltender listening to this podcast on the way to the rink right now and your coach decides to take you aside at the beginning of a practice and I don't mean your goaltending coach I mean your your coach who probably doesn't know a lot about goaltending and just wants to take some shots on you to give you something to do when he's got the rest of the team doing something else don't be scared to direct them don't be scared to say hey I mean do it nicely would you mind if we did the following um because usually they're not sure what they're doing and they would love some direction uh and that's a way that you know you've probably worked with a goaltending coach at some point along the way and you've got some things you want to do don't don't be afraid to step up and nicely ask if something can be done uh, to, to help you work on what you're working on. And I think it's great that Mike's doing it. And it's a great example. And if your coach happens to be a former defenseman, just talk slower. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to make sure Woody was paying attention. <laughs> Some, sometimes I think that uh, he gets ready to start uh, filing his his uh, audio file to try and beat me. And I just wanted to make sure he was uh, still honest. I'm there. not, I'm not cheating. I'm not cheating. Yeah. I'm weighing in here, still recording locally. All good. Haven't, haven't slipped the file into the uh, Dropbox just yet, Darren. Uh, Anthony Stoller's next week. Yeah. I'm looking forward to that one as well. Uh, we, we've actually had a few banked here. So I actually talked to Anthony on his way to the world championships. And the downside is that we got the reverse bump. He uh, sustained a groin injury over there. So he's not playing anymore. It's Cal Peterson, Jake Ottinger. Um, and I think they brought Drew Camesso over to be the number three after Anthony got injured. But the one thing I can tell you about Anthony is this will not be a setback because I don't know anybody, and we get into it in this conversation, that has gone through as many challenges with injuries and as, as severe as he has and come through them as well as he has over the past couple of seasons. It's a remarkable story, and I can't wait to let him share it with our audience next week. He does not duck a challenge. That's Anthony Stoller uh, coming up next week on In Goal Radio, the podcast for Kevin Woodley, David Hutchison, our buddy Cam, as well as our good friend, Mikey DiPietro. I'm Darren Millard. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next week on the only place where all the goalies hang out and we are one big, great community. In Goal Radio, the podcast. <laughs>